0: If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Please pray with me. Father, we have just sung that um, you are worthy. We believe that, Father. You are worthy. And we are needy. We are needy people. So, Father, use me to put you on display today. Give us receptive hearts to hear your word, and the humility and the humility to obey them. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. I'm turning me to Psalm 51. And the title of our message, um, it's coming up, or it's there, is Responding the Right Way When We Sin. Even after we've been given new spiritual life by God, we continue to struggle with sin. Can anyone here attest to that? And we will continue to sin until we are glorified with Jesus. So because we continue to sin, How should we respond when we do? I believe that God's word gives us instruction on how we should, and in Psalm 51, we will find out how. And My aim after today is that we leave here with a clearer picture of what God requires from us when we sin. We want to know what response pleases our father. Do you want to please him? Well, let's jump right in and find out how. Um, Today's takeaway, um, and that should be coming up, is four things to help us know we are responding the right way when we have sinned. If you haven't already turned um, to Psalm 51, uh, you may do so now, and say amen when you get there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Before I read the text, um, let me give some background to why um, David wrote this Psalm. In 2 Samuel 12, we see it. The prophet Nathan confronts David about his adultery with Bathsheba and his subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah. Nathan sets David up with a story about a wealthy man who steals the one beloved sheep that a poor man had. And of course, David being a shepherd boy, as we all know, this really resonated with him. And naturally, David gets stirred up by the story and declares the death sentence on the rich man. And then, of course, Nathan sticks him in the side and says, Nathan says, David, you are that rich man. Let me read Psalm 51 um, for us. For the choir director, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him, after he had gone to Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways. And sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed God, God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So I've read the entire psalm, but my text is specifically gonna be from verse one to 13. So how do we know we are responding the right way after we have sinned? First thing, we recognize we choose to sin and are in need of help from God. Verse 1 to 3. It says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious, and my rebellion, for I'm conscious of my rebellion, sorry, and my sin is always before me. So David recognizes that he was sinful from birth. He's not blaming anyone. He has has this God-given insight that compels him to confess not only his actual sins, but the deep infection of his whole nature. David has a clear understanding of sin. Now, depending on the translation you have, rebellion, evil, transgression, and iniquity are used. I'm going to just speak about two, centering on two, transgression and iniquity. So transgression is a betrayal of trust. Now, for there to be a betrayal of trust, there has to be a relationship of trust. David had a relationship with God. How do we know that? If we think about Psalm 23, he speaks of the Lord as his shepherd. And in Psalm 51, he's begging God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. Iniquity, this means distorted, like when something is bent or crooked as opposed to upright or straight. Think about an arrow. If you bend an arrow and you shoot it, it will never hit that target. Brethren, when we sin, we miss the mark, the specific mark of loving God and others. You see, David is comprehensive when he describes his sin. He's not watering it down. He's not making light of it. He sinned and he's not sinning again by responding sinfully. Yeah, to... um, here are sinful responses we make when we sin. There's a slide for that. So the first one is we minimize. We think that our sin is not a big deal. And usually this, is, this happens when we compare our sins to the sins of others. But we are not supposed to be comparing ourselves to others. We are supposed to be trying to be like Christ. We legitimize. This is thinking God will approve of sin because it may have a positive outcome eventually. We rationalize. We think that you, we have good reason to sin the way we did. Then we blame shift. We all know this one Adam and Eve. Right? Um, he or she made me do it. We victimize. This is something that's current. I can't help it. I was born this way. How about partial confession? Confessing but trying to save face at the same time. Like saying, I'm sorry if what I did made you feel that way. Diversion. I was killed with this. Manipulating the environment to deflect a sinful situation or sinful words. And mere confession. Saying, I'm sorry, Lord, without a commitment to turn away from what you are sorry about. Not only does David recognize he's sinful, he has reached a stage where he knows he needs help. He can't help himself, he needs help from who can help and that is only God. He's at a point where he realizes that his vain fig leaf attempt to cover sin will never work and he's broken and humble before God begging for mercy. Have you ever been wrong, and deep down you know it's just plain stupidity to continue along the path you are trotting? but because of a prideful desire to save face and the appeal of sin, you dig your heels in? Yeah. David was wrong and strong. I mean, you know, we say that we are wrong and strong, but now he is broken, contrite, and seeking help from God. Here's what he says in verse one. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. You know, David could have responded sinfully to Nathan's rebuke. He could have been the boss, you know. um, He could have given instructions for someone to take care of the situation. How can this man be doing this to me? After all, I'm king. He could have become filled with self-pity. Oh, how could I make this happen to me? I hate myself for doing this. Brethren, wallowing in sin and moaning about how wretched wretched we are is not repentance. He could have resolved the self-confidently and that's something that I hear um, quite often now. I'll never do it again. I'm going to try harder. But you know what? Resolve underestimates the draw of sin and overestimates our personal ability to resist. Remember, it was confidence in the flesh that got him into sin in the first place. David shows us that when we sin, we can't help ourselves. Only God can. He also shows us that we can go to God for help because of God's character. Now, in verse one, if you notice, he says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. Why doesn't he use the word out of? So maybe the verse would read like this. Be gracious to me, God, out of your faithful love, out of your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. You know why I believe? According to gives a sense of there being no limit to God's faithful love and abundant compassion. When God gives us the help that we need, he doesn't have less of that help available to others. Why is this so? Because it is according to his character. God's character gives us solid hope. We can rely on his promises. We don't worry that he might be different from who he says he is. That's the God we serve. Say amen with me, brothers and sisters. So, how do we know we are responding the right way after we have sinned? We recognize we choose to sin and are in need of God's help. And we understand the seriousness of sin and who it is ultimately against. Verse 4 to 6 Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So, you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. You know, we live in a world where at best sin is treated lightly and at worst it's not believed in. David realizes what every believer seeking forgiveness must realize. That even though he had tragically wronged Uriah and Bathsheba, his sin ultimately was against God. You know, we might think our sin is small and describe it as a mistake, a slip up or I've heard this one, my bad, but it's serious before God. This is not an overstatement, brethren. Scripture recounts instances of God's judgment of sin. Let's look at one of them. Um, There's a slide for Leviticus. Leviticus. 9, 22, 10 to three. Let me read. Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. He came down after sacrificing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. Moses and Aaron then entered the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell face down. Aaron's son Nadab and Abihu each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Then fire from the Lord came and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron this is what the Lord has spoken I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me and I will reveal my glory before all the people and Aaron remained silent from this account that I just read um, does it sound like something that, God, that sin is something that God takes lightly does it sound like something no it doesn't Here's a little bit about Nadab and Abihu. Their father is Aaron. Their uncle is Moses. That's privilege. So they are privileged. In Exodus 24, verse one, they had a personal invitation from God to witness what he was doing with Moses on the mountain. They were not your average Israelites. They were men with large reputations for being in ministry. Yet we read what they did instead. Each took his firepan, put fire in it, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And their punishment was death. Pretty serious offense, I would say, if it was punishable by death. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah. What I think we do need to learn from this is never to underestimate the gravity of our transgressions against a holy God. We need to be people who are humble and tremble at his word. We need to guard against becoming too familiar with his word and therefore being flippant with it and treating it with carelessness. We should get into the habit of contemplating, pondering, and giving careful consideration to just how serious of an offense our sins are to our Holy Father. Here are a few questions for our church community. Are we being sucked in by the culture? Has our attitude, thoughts, and approach to sin changed over the years? Now, if we serve an unchanging God, then how we view sin should never change, no matter how popular. Or acceptable, it has become in today's society. So to be clear, the culture does not get to decide what is sin or how it will be ultimately paid for. That has been decided by God, and spoiler alert, he who creates dictates. This is not a catchy phrase. In Acts 17 26, it says, From one man he has made, that's create every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined that dictate, their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Clear as mud, right? Okay. So how do we know we are responding the right way after we have sinned? We first recognize we choose to sin and are in need of help from God. We understand the seriousness of sin and who, is, who it is ultimately against. And thirdly, We ask God for his restoring mercy. Verse 79. Purify me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crossed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Now, David boldly asked to be made whole again. For a sense of this unwholesome feeling that he was um, experiencing, let me read Psalm 32, um, verse 3 and 4. We have a slide coming up. He says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained in the summer's heat. Now, David writes about his unconfessed sin and how it made him feel. As he says, it made his bones feel brittle, as if they were decaying. Now, you and I know that without bones, we would crumble and our bodies would be useless. So, guess what? David was immobilized. He was exhausted. One commentary commentary explains it this way. It was as if there was this slow, internal decay caused by the heavy weight of his sin. David's remembrance of sin becomes deeper and deeper, destroying rest, wasting strength, until he makes a humble confession and asks God to be made whole again. Now David understands that God cannot simply overlook sin. He knows that cleansing is costly. It involves sacrifice, Now, how do we know that? In verse nine, he says, cleanse me with hyssop. Now, I have a picture of hyssop. Could could we just show that? That's hyssop. Now, hyssop was a small plant that um, was shaped in such a way that it could be used like a brush. And what would happen is that the priest would use hyssop to sprinkle blood over a sacrifice. So when David asked God to purify him with hyssop, he's referring to the process of sacrifice and specifically the sprinkling of blood david knows that the penalty for sin is death so in order for his sin to be removed from him the penalty for sin must be paid on his behalf now david confesses his sin in verse 32 chapter 32 verse 5 Um, We can bring it up. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What do we learn here? Confess honestly, brothers and sisters. No excuses, no blame shifting. We should also confess humbly. There's nothing we can do to make cleansing or forgiveness possible or easier for God. Just honest, humble confession with sober knowledge that we aren't doing as well as we might want others to believe, think, as we might want others to think we are doing. Now, is there anyone here who has ever had to pretend? Anyone? Let me see a show of hands. No, put them up. I mean, let's, okay. We've had to pretend. You know, you have that new gig, that new guy, new gal, and you've got to act the part, look the part, then you fall apart. (laughs) Aren't you happy you can't pretend with God? Aren't you happy? How about this? You become a member of our church community, and instead of being authentic about and confessing sin, you strive to conceal it and put up what you think is a strong, firm upper lip and tall shoulders. Remember John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me encourage you. Do not cover up your sin. Confess them. Know that every sin you have committed or will commit has been paid for. Get this. Paid for even before you were born. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Amen. So, how do we know we are responding the right way after we have sinned? First, we recognize we choose to sin and are in need of help from God. Second, we understand the seriousness of sin and who it is ultimately against. Third, we ask God for his restoring mercy. And finally, we desire to help others not sin in the manner we did. Verse 10 to 13. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. David wants to be on mission for God. And to do that, he requests, sorry, he requests a new heart. He knows that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. He knows he needs a change at the very core of his being. This is not about somehow being a better person or trying harder. He realizes he needs a radical and complete overall at the level of his decision making. He needs new affections, new desires, new longings. He wants a new heart, and this is what God gives him. He also begs for continued communion with God. He realizes that it makes no sense for him to do or to go anywhere without God being with him. He also asks that the joy that God's salvation brings be restored. Only God can do this. It's God's salvation, not David's. It's not self-help. It's God's help. Remember how David was feeling in Psalm 32. He was crushed. He was immobilized. But God makes crushed bones rejoice. In verse eight, It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Brothers and sisters, when we sin, we defy God. We offend and hinder our relationship with him. Sin destroys relationships and joy. Confession and repentance restores our relationship with God and our joy in him. Let me repeat that. Confession and repentance restores our relationship with God and our joy in him. There's something I don't want you to miss. If you notice in the psalm, there's no mention of David's bones being healed or, for want of a better word, being uncrushed. David's, um, sorry, when we talk about being restored and experiencing joy again, This doesn't mean the consequences of sin go away. David's sin had disastrous effects on his life and that of his family. To name a few, his son with Bathsheba dies. His son Tamar is raped by his half brother Amnon. David's son Absalom murders Amnon. Brethren, sin has ripple effects. God wants us to avoid it. Sin has ripple effects. That's why we need to be involved in a church that strives to be a healthy community because we need support from brothers and sisters in the faith to help navigate those consequences. Now this support is not support from the elders. It's support from all of us. We are all involved in supporting one another when these consequences um, face us. Sometimes we wonder why After confessing our sins, we experience its consequences for a long time afterwards. But for those of us who trust in Christ for salvation, be thankful that we don't pay for our sins. Christ did. For the unsaved who might be with us today, will you trust in Christ alone for your salvation? If this is something you want to explore, let me encourage you to speak to one of the elders after the service. Verse 13 says, Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. A restored David is compelled to spread the news of God's grace. He doesn't want others to sin as he did. He doesn't want to hoard his restored joy he desires that his broken life be used by God to heal others how do we respond to the grace that God has given us we should be telling our neighbors that only Jesus saves how about doing that now turn to someone beside you and say only Jesus saves only Jesus saves trust him This trust is not a leap in the dark. It's not believing in something you can't prove, as so many people think. It is, biblically speaking, reliance. A rock-solid, truth-grounded, promise-sealed trust in the risen Jesus to save us from sin. As I close, did you notice that nowhere in the psalm did David pray about um, restraint? or for men to hold him accountable, or for protected eyes. I'm not saying that those are not good things to pray for. But I believe David knows that sexual sin is a symptom, not the disease, and we should too. We give way to sin because we don't have the fullness of joy and gladness in Christ. We waver and are enticed because God does not have the place in our feelings and thoughts that he should. Now imagine this. Let's just say I stole bread. You know, Pastor Yogi, he has bread, so I sneak up at his home and I steal a crate of bread. And, um, you know, I become a member of this church and She-An, um, does a, um, he writes a song about my sin. And ever so often we sing that song in services. Wouldn't that be like crazy? Sounds crazy, right? But the account of David's sin was put to music. This psalm was put to its music and used in connection with worship services conducted in the temple at Jerusalem. There are two things we can learn from this. The songs we listen to can help or hinder or fight against sin. And concealing sin never works. David tried this and all he reaped was misery. But confession and repentance brought restoration and joy. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. It teaches us uh, what is true. It makes us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and instructs us in what is right. In Psalm 51, you have used the life of David, a man after your own heart, to instruct us on what is on your heart about the right way to respond when we sin. May your Holy Spirit empower us in our fight against sin. May your Holy Spirit not give us rest when we do until we come humbly begging for your help. I pray that we will not only be hearers of your word, but do us also. In the name of your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.